great day today, right? Well, if you're uh, still awake, hopefully you are, uh, we're going to have the majority of our time is going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And we're talking about uh, the theme of I am. Uh, week one, we talked about being forgiven, and uh, Melissa did a great job uh, last week uh, giving us hope and encouragement that we are chosen as well. God has chosen us, and um, and this morning I want to talk about um, being called. And um, spend just a little bit of time there, but the Bible uses that phrase over and over and over and over again, and uh, a couple places I, w- I want you to be able to look, and, and I hope that you have your Bible, uh, no matter what the form, whether it's digital or, or a hard copy. Um, but uh, join me real quick in Isaiah 43 and 1, and I want you to, this is going to set the, the umbrella over, over what we're really talking about this morning, uh, of what God has done and what, what He's doing for us, why we are called. You see, I think we... Um, I think we get confused at times as people and thinking that some of the things that we're called to do is uh, called to visit church, not called to visit church, (laughs) called to attend church, not called to attend church. You're called to be the church, right? God could really care less about buildings. What He cares about is people. And the reason that we're forgiven and the reason that we're chosen is for what we're speaking about this morning is that there's a purpose for you. It's not just about you. Yes, we reap the benefits of what he's done for us, but we have been called to something greater than just, it's like uh, God saying, hey, uh, you got saved. Great. We're done. The finished product is right here. Well, he saved us for something. He's renewed us for something, not to just sit back and wait. Okay, I hope he comes back soon because I'm tired of waiting. That's not the purpose of our life. So Isaiah 43, verse 1, this is what he says. Especially for those of you that are kind of... um, uh, Is it all right this morning if I just... We don't have to deal with the double talk and I can just be blunt this morning. Is that all right? We're an adult audience, right? Okay. Some of you are afraid to commit because you know it's going to be change. Some of you are afraid to actually be the church because you're worried that somebody's going to hold you up to some high standard. And he hasn't called you to be perfect. He's what makes us perfect. But the reality is you think, oh, it's not working for me. You've got all these excuses, but the reality is you're just afraid of turning your life over to Jesus Christ. Your whole life. I'm not just talking about your Sunday. And, and God speaks this to Isaiah. Look what he says. Don't be afraid. This is Isaiah 43, 1. Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. That means he bought you back. You were originally his anyway, but because of sin, because of what's happened in the world, we gave ourselves over to uh, uh, another God, whether it be self or the devil or whatever you want to consider that other God. But anytime we give ourselves to another cause other than Christ, we're actually guilty of idolatry. We're guilty of following other gods. It's not what God had planned for us to do. He said, so, so I did the work. I ransomed you. I paid back with the, with the high price of my son. I've ransomed you back. I have called you by name. He doesn't just see you as a faceless, massless crowd. Uh, Oh, I'm just calling. I've called you by name, individually. He knows you. He ransomed you. Not just thinking, oh, God's loved the whole world. Sometimes we think it doesn't even matter if I do this or not. It does matter because he called you by name. And then the next part is what we have to understand. I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. See, that's where it starts to get scary. 
Because if he's in control and if I'm not in control, that's a scary thing. If he gets to determine what my values are and what I should and shouldn't be doing, that's scary because what if I don't agree? What if I don't want to do that? What if it doesn't fit into my five-year plan? What if it's not what my whole life is all about? And yet we've got to go back to this verse and say, you know what? If we're going to do this, I have to determine not to be afraid. And really, like I said, you gave me permission to be speak. You've got to stop being a coward. You got to stop being a coward, trying to keep your life together and allow him to do what he wants to do in your life because he's going to save it and wonderfully fulfill it. You think that you're going to somehow miss something. If you sell out to Jesus Christ, you won't miss anything. Yes, there will be changes. Yes, there will be some drastic things that are going to happen, but it will be an awesome life. You're not going to miss out. What you're going to miss out on is if you don't. And that's what you've got to flip around and realize that when you're afraid of what he's going to do, you're missing out on the opportunities. I don't know. I can't buy that lottery ticket. That's a lot of pressure. Think of all the decisions I'll have to make. Nobody thinks that way. They rush right down there, spend their 20 bucks, and they're excited. Oh, I hope I win the lottery. They're not thinking about all the calls, all the taxes, all the things that are going to have to happen. They don't think about that at all. But when it comes to Christ... Oh, I don't know. We've got to think this thing through. What will my friends say? What will my spouse say? What will other people think? Who cares? Do you think that they're... You're, you're not thinking that when you go to buy a lottery ticket. Gee, I don't know. What will people say if I become a multimillionaire? What will my friends think? I have called you by name. Now, this term called is actually a compound word, and, and it doesn't matter where it comes from, all that stuff, but the actual term is ecclesia, which means called out ones. Called out ones for a specific purpose, not to be better, not to be even perfect, but it means that you've heard the call, he's called you by name, and now when he calls, you assemble. It's a military term for those people because they didn't have uniforms back then that the men that were called into military service, when the call came, they all gathered and assembled themselves. And that's what he's done for you and for me. And the Bible is replete with this. I have called you out of darkness into my wondrous light. Think about that. I've called you. I've called you. I've called you. He says this again and again and again. And, and this is the problem is we say, I'm called, but what we're really saying is I'm saved. And there's a big difference between being saved and being called. He has accomplished salvation on the cross. He's the one that did it for everybody all by himself. He didn't need our help. But now he's called you, and he's called me. And you can say, well, I don't feel called. It doesn't matter how you feel. The reality is you are called. He has called you by name. He wants you. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants your mess. He wants your failures. He wants everything about you because he's the one that can fix that. The problem is that we distance ourselves and we're not sure we want to get involved with all of that or we start rationalizing and saying, well, I don't know. And the biggest problem that we're facing in the world today for the church, why we're not making the impact that we're not making, why we don't see the inroads, why we don't see the power of God, why we're not seeing our prayers answered, why we're not connecting as much as we can, not only with Him, but the world around us, is yet another verse. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll give you a second to turn there. You see, there's a, there's a, I guess I'm just going to have to say, there's a wicked thought process in the world today, which is this. If you reject my differentness, you're a bad person. But it's always one way. Okay? If we as Christians have a standard, and that means that we have to reject certain things in the world, we are horrible, hateful people. But if the people in the world reject our standards... They're normal. There's something wrong with this, okay? And because of this, and because of even pastors standing in pulpits that water this down and try to placate people instead of putting them on cause, putting them on task, 
Because that's what we're called to. We're not called to your social injustice. We're not called to your call. We are called to the cause of Jesus Christ and what he says and what he does and what he wants to accomplish. That's what he's called us to. That's why I say we've got to understand this is a military term. When you get, I mean, since there's no draft anymore, but can you imagine going into the service and then they say, here's where you're going, you're deploying, and you say, you know, I'm really going to have to think about that. I'm not sure that that's for me. I, I, you know, I, I didn't sign up for this. Oh, yes, you did. And when you signed up for this, you signed up for not having a say anymore. And when you signed up for this, you've got a higher calling. You go where you're sent and you do what you're told and you accomplish the mission because you don't always see at this level what they see at this level. And yes, there can be mess. And yes, there can be abuse. That's just what happens. But with God, you've got to understand, He's called you to Himself, not to some ideal, not to some building. He's called you to the cause of Jesus Christ, which is to seek and save the lost. For us to be disciples, the problem is the world wants all of us to be fans. And he's calling followers. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says. And this is specifically, Paul is talking to a church. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. And it's no different then as it was today. I believe that history is cyclical. It's coming back around and we find ourselves in modern day Corinthian times where he says this, come out from among them, them being the rest of the crowd. You got that? Come out from among them and be, what's that word? Separate. Okay, now here's the problem. Everybody in the world wants to downplay being separate. We're all one. Right? It started in, in my generation with crazy songs, We Are the World. <laughs> yes, we're all people. Yes, there should not be segregation. Yes, there should not be the, the downplay of one sex over another sex or one color over another color. Yes, we're all one in God's sight. But can I tell you that He has called us to step forward, that's how we separate ourselves, right? If I said this morning, uh, who wants to volunteer? Don't raise your hands and don't move. How would I know? Because what do we do? Who wants to volunteer? Raise an action. We separate ourselves from the crowd. Okay? Now, here's the problem, what I go back to. Again, bear with me for just a moment. The mindset today is if you ever try to separate from the crowd, you're wrong. Because the common thinking is the best thinking. The problem is nobody's thinking, everybody's feeling. And Christ is calling us to think, I have called you, I have ransomed you, I know you, I know your particular skill set, I know what you've been through, I know where you've been, I know what you've been into, I knew what you liked and what you disliked, and I still called you. I chose you. That's what Melissa talked about last week. He chose you. We were the (laughs) uncoordinated kid on the soccer ball field, and he chose us. We were the worst in the beauty pageant, and he chose us. And because he chose us, chose us, now we're on his team. Not our team, his team. Come out from among them and be separate. Why was he talking to that church in Corinth? Because the people that said that they were called of God were acting just like everybody else. Now again, he has not called us to be better. He has not called us to act morally superior. He has not called us to be elite. He has not called us to wall ourselves off from the world. In fact, he said, I want you to live different and stay in the world. But the separation is a lifestyle. The separation is values. The separation, I'm not asking you to dress funny. I'm not asking you to live in a monastery. I'm asking you to do what's even harder. I'm saying change your life. That's what separates you from them. 
And that stands out way more than a fashion statement. That stands out way more than some cause that you... Anybody can join a cause. The question is, will you follow Jesus Christ when He says go and you don't fully understand when He says stop when you really want to go? That's the big question. You've been called to something that is bigger than you. You've been called to something that is eternal. You have been called to something that is vital that you show up. Not to fight the cause. Not to right the wrongs. But to follow Jesus Christ through thick and thin. And to begin to see your life transformed from the day you follow Him. It should be different years later. It should be more Disciple. It should be more self-control. It should look more like his life instead of more like the world. This is what is corrupting the church, folks. This is what is corrupting the word. Where I mean, there was never a time in history where this was considered hate speech. But this is where we are today. Why? Because if we don't agree, it's hateful. Now, I believe the church has misrepresented at times, and we have put forth an attitude of hate when that is not our job. We are not called to hate. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear we're called to bless and not curse. Right? Because we will never change people that we hate. We don't care about them. We're called to love. We're called to be different. It doesn't mean we have to buy into what they're doing, but it means we have to change our standards and say, I love them so much because Christ called them that I'll do what it takes. I'll be the bridge to talk to them. I'll start the hard conversation. I'll be the person that is gracious and kind. I'll be the one that prays for them instead of rebukes them. I'll be the one that reaches out instead of stepping back. I'm going to step forward and separate myself from the haters and the posers, and the crowd. I'm going to follow the cross, not the crowd. That's what he's calling us out to. The question is, maybe you never knew that, and so that's why I'm here this morning. Many of you know, if you've been around with me a while, I grew up on a, on a ranch, um, and you're going to have to separate yourself here for just a minute. Who knows what spurs are? Okay, Those of you that don't, or just were afraid to raise your hand because you have weak shoulder muscles. Spurs are interesting because horses are trained to follow the commands of the rider. Right? That's called breaking the horse. Okay? You're breaking their will to want to and helping them to learn to do what you want to. Normal horses don't just love saddles and bridles in their mouth. Right? If you didn't know that, that's the reality, okay? We've got so far away from agricultural society that nobody knows this anymore. Oh, horses just love it. No, they hate it. Just like us, when somebody tries to put something on you that feels like a burden, when somebody tries to change your direction. But this is what's weird, is that long ago somebody figured this out, is that I can make the horse do certain things. And if I need the horse to go faster, you can kick its withers. But if you want to get the most out of the horse, you put on some spurs. Because that's a pretty tender spot on a big animal. And when you dig in the spurs, which have a sharp edge, it doesn't truly hurt the horse, but it spurs them on. Okay? That's what the word is for. That's why Jesus wrote these things. Not to harm us, but to help you understand you think you're at max performance. He sent somebody like me to dig the spurs in a little bit this morning because we're falling behind. We're getting lazy. We're checking out. And it's not enough to just sit back and say, well, I'm a Christian. If you're just waiting for the second coming, you are not doing what Christ has called you to do. If you just attend church, but you're not being the church, you're not doing what Christ has called you to do. If you are just hoping and waiting that somehow this is all going to get better, you're not doing what Christ has called you to do. He has called us to stand out, not blend in. He has called us to separate ourselves, not to isolate ourselves. Those are two very distinct terms. He never wants us to isolate ourselves, but he said, I want you to be there amongst people because that's where you're supposed to be, but you need to be different. 
And with every twist and turn, it looks like we're trying everything we can so that we don't look different. But He has called us to be different. But different doesn't mean weird. We've seen that as well, right? (laughs) He's called us to be fruitful, not nutty. Right? Fruits and nuts are different things, right? He's also said that we're supposed to multiply, not decrease, and yet worldwide the church is decreasing. You know why? This very common problem right here, we've decided somehow, I don't want to be separate. I don't want people to look at me different. I'm not sure I want to stand up to to somebody saying something. I don't want to have to answer those questions. I don't want to have to change my values. Nobody else lives like this, and they seem to be doing just fine until the end. When we all stand before Christ and receive the actions and consequences of our deeds or lack thereof. So what are we called to? I'm glad that you asked. That's a great question. First, we've been called to action, and this is where we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And I love how Paul starts this out as he's talking to the church in Ephesus. This is what he says, verse, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord. Think, look at how he thinks of himself. I'm held captive by him. Okay? And, and the tone behind this, the actual word behind this is a doulos, which means a voluntary slave. I'm held captive by Christ. He's given me the keys to be free, but I want to be captured by him. Again, and again, and again. You see, I think there's a mistaken identity that we think, oh, Christ sets me free, now I can do what I want. Oh, no. He set you free to step out, to follow Him. He has set you free and given you liberty not to do what you want, where you want, who with you want, but to do what you can for Him through the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been set free from. And this is what he's saying. I want to be a prisoner again and again. I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. I'm begging you. Look at this. And again, he's speaking to the church because they're not doing what they were called to do. I'm begging you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Church, that's what I'm doing with you this morning. I'm begging you, lead a life. Have the values. Have the lifestyle. Begin to live the life that is worthy of what Christ has called you to. It's not just a name. It's not just a a cross on on a chain. It's not some fish you stick on your car. It's not listening to Caleb. It's following Jesus Christ. That's the calling that we're called to. It's not trying to be a nice person. It's not trying to be a good person. We can't be good people. We are called people. This is what we're called to, and it's quite a list this morning, so buckle up. Number one, you've been called by God. This is not from me. This is not from a church. You haven't been called to a seat. You have been called by God. That means it's eternal. It's bigger than us. Look at this. Always be what? Humble and gentle. Think of if we just did that in today's world. Have you noticed that we lack humility in the world today? Have you noticed that there is a complete loss of gentleness in the world today? Arrogance and violence, these things go hand in hand. What's the first thing he steps up? He says, as a church, you know what you're supposed to be? Humble and gentle. If you're going to follow me, you better learn to be humble And you better be gentle. Now, humble doesn't mean that you're down on yourself. Humble doesn't mean, oh, I'm just a worm. It means you're fully confident of who you are, but you're not going to think you're superior to anybody else. I know who I am in Christ, but I don't look down on anybody. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not. Everybody has been called to something. Everybody has a place to serve. Everybody's part of the body. But it doesn't mean that I can say, well, you know, I I don't really have an opinion because I'm humble. That's not humble. That's uninformed. We're also supposed to be patient. Ever see that missing in our world today? All over the place, right? Just go to the store sometime. And who are we supposed to be patient with? Each other. Not just in the church, but everybody that's a person. Okay? 
Now, if you've ever been guilty, don't raise your hand. If you've ever been guilty of saying some phrase like this, I don't have time for this nonsense. And it's usually you're dealing with a person, right? Because there are delay people, right? We've all met delay people, people that have no particular time frame, right? It used to be worse, especially when we used to write checks. You remember that? You're like, you're all ready to go, and then you get the person that gets in line, and they watch everything. Doot, 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 doot. They get done. That's going to be 3192. Well, let me see if I can find my checkbook. How much was that again? What's the date? And you've got one thing, right? And you're... Or pennies. Oh, I think I've got the chip. I'll pay for it. Just, just go. Just go. I'll pay for it. And it's getting worse. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. We need to make allowance for each other's faults. The, look to your right and your left this morning. That's a human being. <laughs> they are a mess up. They're going to mess up. They're going to fail, but we have to make allowances for that. Stop holding each other to high standards as a human, right? We are not God. We make mistakes over and over and over again. Guess what? The people that don't know God make mistakes over and over and over again. And we need to make allowances for them instead of punishing them. Well, you're... We have no right to stand them up or to be judges. We're not judges. We're called people. We should make allowances because of our love. Now, here's what's hard. We are called on this journey of love. This is not a military operation. This is not about wiping out the enemy. This is about trying to win as many people with the love of Jesus Christ as we can. Not to make them feel small. Not to rub their sin in their face. Not to threaten them with hell. That is not what love does. Jesus never did any of those things. He always compelled people with his love that he managed to stop, he managed to care, he managed to touch, he managed to talk, he stopped to teach, he stopped to preach, he healed people, he touched people, he took time for the kids. That's love. Number three, we need to make every effort to keep ourselves united in the Spirit. And those are very specific, that's why they're highlighted. We can be united around all kinds of things. And all kinds of things could separate us because we're people of diversity. But here's what he's saying. We need to make every effort. That means that it doesn't just come naturally. You've got to work at staying united in the Spirit about what the important things are. Because that's where the church gets divided. Well, I read this version. You can't read that version. I believe in this, and I believe in this. What do you believe? And then we create separation. It creates division instead of unity in the Spirit. If it's not clear, just stay united in the Spirit. We're not going to argue about this. We're not going to fight about this. I'm not going to leave over this. This is not a big deal. But unfortunately, those are the small things that tend to disrupt us. Binding ourselves together with what? Peace. There's going to be chaos. But if we determine we're going to be peacekeepers, in fact, Jesus even says that a blessing comes with this. Blessed are the peacemakers. Right? Any idiot can start a fight. Don't believe me? Look on Facebook today. Somebody somewhere is itching for a fight. Somebody's going to say something on social media. Somebody's going to say something in the newspaper. Somebody somewhere is going to make a comment just hoping to lure you in. And when they do, they win. Or you can be a peacemaker. I've learned a valuable tool I'm going to pass on to you. You don't have to respond. Did you know that? You're not legally bound. The Constitution of the United States does not force you to respond to somebody's comment, statement, blog, post. You don't have to respond. But what, what, what if they unfriend me? Your life just got better. 
they weren't really a friend anyway. Friend doesn't mean click. Binding ourselves together with peace, verse 4. This is part of the unity. There is what? One body. We are not in competition or enemies with any other church. Everybody got that this morning? And I know maybe some of you are saying, but what about we are not in competition or enemies with any other church, any other congregation, any other belief system. It doesn't mean we're going to buy into it, but we are not their enemies and we're not going to compete with them and we're not going to judge them and we're not going to drag them down. That's not our job. Our job, guess what? We need every church working together to save this county. We need every church in Cowlitz County pulling together for Jesus Christ to save as many people as we can. We don't need separation. That happens all the time. We need to be together one body and one spirit. And that's a big S right there, which means we understand it's the Holy Spirit that brings us into that unity. It's not your common cause. It's not the version that you read. It's not the place that you sit or where you attend on Sunday. But we are united by the Spirit. Just as you have, look at this, been called, he's saying it again, you have been called this morning, and if you think you haven't been called, you're wrong, you've been called, to what? One glorious hope, and I put this in parentheses because, again, you gave me permission to be blunt this morning, you're probably regretting it, but here we go. One glorious hope for what? For the future. If your history with God's or your testimony for God says something like this, I used to, you've got a gap. That's not the future, that's past tense. He's talking about future tense. What are you doing for me now and tomorrow? What are you going to do for him tomorrow? That's the future tense. What's the glorious future tomorrow? Well, I remember when I used to, that's past tense. What are you going to do as the day gets near? What are you going to do tomorrow and the next week and next year? Have you even thought about that? Or are you just thinking about what used to happen and it was really good and I wish we could go back to those days? That's not a glorious hope for the future. That's reminiscing. And it doesn't mean that the good old days weren't good. But the good old days are gone and now we've got our future out ahead of us and that's where Christ is. He wants us to understand we have a glorious hope. There is something waiting for us. Not just the end of your days, not just retirement, not just death. There's something better waiting for us. Verse 5, there's one Lord. Again, this is what we can agree on. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over everybody and in everybody and living through everybody. If it looks a little different in them, that's between them and God. It's not between you and them. We can stay united in the bond of peace. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Those of you that are married that have had friends for a long time, you don't agree on everything. What keeps you united? Love. Love. Verse 7. However, He has given each one of us, that's you and that's me, and you may not think that you have this, but you do. You just have to do the work to understand what it is. You've You've been given a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now look it. He has supplied what we need. But He can't do what you and I do every day where we live, where we work, where we go to school, all the people that we meet with. He's doing His future work. It's time for us as the church to do our work. And none of this is called to sitting. This is a necessary part of what we do so we get inspired and encouraged and challenged to increase our faith, but this is not the be-all, do-all of the Christian experience. This is a small, tiny portion. And so this is not the only thing that you're called to. We should gather together. We should give Him praise corporately. We should come together and hear messages that challenge us and ask us to step up our lifestyle. But at the same time, this is not the only thing you should be doing. There is so much more. And somehow we've just relegated it to, well, it's Sunday. Your faith isn't just about Sunday. That's the equipping day. The rest of the week is going to show whether you're going to follow him or not. Ephesians 11 through 13. Here we go. 
There's some other parts in there, but he's just kind of giving a general address. address. So we're going to skip down to verse 11. Now, here's the gifts, because he talked about this. He's given special gifts, okay? Now, this would be a great point for me to be self-serving and to remind you what a great gift I am to the church. But I'm not going to do that, because there's lots of pastors. There's lots of apostles. There's, I'm not the only one, nor will I always be the only one. But there are people that are put in these positions, right? And they're not to be seen as a difficulty or a burden or something you just have to put up with if we change our mind and realize that we're all gifted. Some people have different gifts. These people have different gifts than other people. They're not better gifts. They're just different gifts. And my responsibility is to equip God's people to do what? See, here's where you get afraid. Remember what I said, don't be afraid? What am I supposed to equip you to do? Not just work, but His work, right? Now, what was His work? Right? He came to a world so that He could introduce people to God and show them how to live life successfully. Right? Not about the money made, because he didn't make any. Not about the big homes. Not about all the stuff that we care about. This is the problem. And it doesn't mean you have to stop and sell everything and live in a tent down by the river. I actually advise against that. But what it does say is that which one's going to be more important to you? Has he given you the job so you can fulfill his work? Where you work, there's people that need Jesus Christ. Where you go to school, there's people that need Jesus Christ. Wherever you gather, there are people there that need Jesus Christ. The question is, are you really going to understand you're called to do His work, and it's not a punch the clock, hey, I did my time today. Uh, Yep, it's a Sunday. I did my time today. You coming to church and sitting here is not your work. That's my work. This is your benefit, whether you realize it or not. Monday through Saturday is our chance to do His work. Okay? To do His work and to do what? Build up the church. Not the building, but the people. Right? He wants the church to continue to expand and grow. But the only way it expands and grows is if we do the work. Does that make sense? See, this is where we get afraid again. Ah, but, ah. The crown's going to be starting again on Netflix soon. And HGTV just started, and it's golf season, and it's fishing season, and it's great. Do those things, but remember that you're there to do His work while you're doing all of that. He's not saying you can't do any of that, but remember that you're called to His work. Do your work while you're doing your stuff. See, we're afraid of that because what about me? What about my downtime? What about my deep need to isolate myself and not care about anybody else? And you may think you don't have that need. Really? When's the last time you did something at this church besides come and sit? When's the last time you did anything in the community for Christ? Not for a cause, not organize a run or do something. I'm talking about for Christ and His cause. When was the last time you did that? See, that's when it gets scary. Because we don't always know what to do. And I would challenge you, just do something. Start someplace. You may not know what to do. How about pray? How about ask somebody? Because people, it's not just intuitive. I remember when I left my job at a surgery center to go work at the church, and they said, what are you going to do all day? I mean, it's easy to know what to do on what you're going to do on Sunday. We get that. What are you going to do all day? Because we have such a small version of what church really means. Church is not a building that you go to. Church is not some denominational standard. Church is not just between the hours of this and this. We are the church. We are the called out ones. We are the ones that have ransomed. He hasn't ransomed a building. He's ransomed us. Do the work. Build up the church, which is the body of Christ. 
And this is supposed to continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature, that we don't even need this anymore, that we're all like, Pastor, we got it. I'm waiting for that day that the world is so mature that we say, hey, you don't have to challenge us. We've got it. We're doing it. That we finally get so mature we're measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You see that? That's what we've been called to. That's the stepping out every time. Okay, I stepped out a little bit. Great. Now there's more. There's more people to reach. There's different ways to reach them. There's more of your gifts to go around. There's more of your time that you can share. And again, what makes us afraid, I go back to Isaiah, is that somehow we think we're going to lose ourselves. You won't lose yourself if you're called to Christ. Because what you're called to is Him. This last part. Once we get to this part to understand that we've been called to be equipped, to be unified, to build up the church, it's my job to help prepare you for that, but I can't make you do that. To know Christ better, to be mature, to to have God's standards, those are just good places to start. And then he gets in a little bit deeper right here. Again, remember he's talking to the church that you think, well, they should have known all this stuff, but they're just people like you and me. They didn't know it. Before we launch into this, I want you to understand why he's saying this is because one of the things we're called to is relationship. First of all, with Jesus Christ, and then to each other. You're not called to just be you. You're called to him and to the rest of the world, wherever that little sphere of influence he places you in. Some people are called overseas. Some people are called to their work. Some people are sent to a school. Some people are... are are either unemployed or retired, and and he's given you a different sphere of influence with those people, but it doesn't mean that you're done. It just means that things have changed. But it's all about relationship. We've called to that relationship with Christ and with others. We aren't called to do it alone. We aren't called to just focus on waiting for him to return. We've called to interact with each other. And you're going to see this very soon because he's going to start using this incredible word that's powerful, and that word is we. Not the PlayStation W-I-I, but we, meaning it's not about individuals anymore. It's about us. Here's what he says. Then we, right? We, we're not going to be immature like children. Now, here's how you can tell whether you're following the crowd or following Christ. Children don't have responsibility. Children only think about what they want. Right? I want, I want, I want. And when you don't give it, what happens? If you're a parent, if you've had brothers and sisters, you know this. And then you've got a choice to make. You either give in and you enable that behavior, or you've got to say, we don't talk like that. We don't whine like that. You're not getting that. And the more you whine, the least I want to give it to you. That's being immature. And yet this seems to be the overwhelming flow within the world today is if I just whine, people will give me what I want. I can tell you what, they may give you what you want, but all it's doing is hurting you and making you more immature. There's no longer going to be immature people like children. We won't be tossed back and forth by every wind of new teaching. And and I'll tell you, I've been around long enough that that new teaching distracts us from the cause of Christ and distracts us from getting together except for to feel good. We want to go to conferences. We want to go to Bethel. We want to go to these places that awesome and incredible and miracles happen. But we're not making disciples. We're not winning the world. Nobody's getting saved. It's just a big Christian love fest. Oh, this is awesome. But you don't care about the people there. You just went to go get your thing. Whereas church is designed that we interact with each other, we work for each other, we pray for each other, we worship with each other, we love one another, we serve one another. This is the we that he's talking about. It's not just going to a place and sitting there because guess what? You can go to the biggest stadium and get it filled, but very few people there will care about you. And there's a bunch of people there. I've been to many ball games, and I have yet once to have some person either beside me or in front of me, except for my family, say, you know, how are you doing really? 
Are you doing okay? What's going on in your world? In most of those interactions, the best you can get is somebody standing in front of you that you want to sit down or somebody spilling beer on you that you didn't want spilled on you. And yet we had a wonderful time. But just because thousands of people were crammed together in one stadium focalizing on one thing doesn't mean that anybody there cared about my needs at all. And I couldn't care about them because there's no relationship. That's why we must have the church. And when we begin to do it right, it changes things. And when you disconnect because you don't have time for church and small group and finding a way to serve each other, it hurts the church. It hurts you. You are necessary. You are needed. Without each individual one of us, we're not the church that we're supposed to be. We've got to stop this jumping back and forth and everything. And it's, some of it's not even biblical. They're just trying to get us to attend and pay. Verse 15, instead, instead of acting like that, he says, we're going to speak the truth in love. This is difficult. And it doesn't mean just saying hard things and saying, well, I love you. But I mean speaking the truth, God's truth. And loving that person enough to speak it when it needs to be spoken. And that can be words of affirmation as well. It's not just criticism, right? Most of us read this passage and we think, yeah, I've had people do that to me my whole life. You know, it's really for your better. And the problem is I just don't like you. Bless your heart. We should be growing in every way more and more to be like Christ. Think about this. This is what he's calling us. This means we have to keep stepping out. That means we continue to answer the call. Man, this is difficult. He's, he's kind of working a bunch of my stuff out of me. And, and Yeah, because the goal is to be called to be like Christ, who is the head of the body. If we are the body, understand that he is the head. We are the church. Look at this. We. He says this. The church. Verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together, not us. The head makes the whole body fit together perfectly. You think maybe I have no place, I've got no spot. You've got a place in the church. If we'll act like the church that the Bible talks about, anybody from any place can come and find a place. Because he will jointly and perfectly fit them together. Now, the question is, you come with your cause, you come with your demands, you come with your negotiations, then you're going to feel like you're out. But if you can align yourself with the teachings of Jesus Christ, there's a place for you. And maybe that seems narrow-minded, but that's what he expects because it's good for us. We need to belong. And then as each part does its own special work, look at this. He thinks that you've got special work to do. He thinks that you are gifted. He does that because you've been called by him specifically to use what you've been given for the people around you. Do you keep using your special gift where it's not all about you? And it doesn't matter who gets the attention. We just do our part. Right? And he uses this analogy so that we'd understand. How many of you ever woke up and said, you know, thank God for toenails? But they're on our body for a reason. (laughs) Lord, thank you for capillaries. God, thank you for the valves in my heart. You probably never said that. But without them, you would die. And just because they're not seen and nobody heralds, woo-hoo, we love the valves. Doesn't mean that they're not important. It doesn't mean that they're not necessary. And doesn't mean that they don't have an incredibly unique function within the body. Just like you. Just like me. If we'll each do our part. Now, the question is, do you know your part? Are you willing to do that? Again, here's where that fear kicks in again. Well, uh... Find some place, test drive it, see if it's what you're supposed to be. Not only do you do your own special work, it helps the other parts grow when we see you working and serving us and inspires us to work and to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing. You see what you're called to? It's something bigger than you, but every person that comes in, every new cell that gets added, the body gets bigger, doesn't it? 
Now, what's hard is this, is we've kind of lost our, our vision and our, our common sense. We have a, a wonderful young lady in our, in our midst this morning that's very, very pregnant. And I didn't have to ask her if she's pregnant. I know what she looked like before, and I know what she looks like after. Something is growing, and I hope it's a baby, not a parasitic alien, okay? By the way, guys, if you're not sure, never ask if she's pregnant, okay? Just don't do it. Her body has grown because something has been added. And if she said she was pregnant and nine months later she was flat as a board, I'd begin to wonder if she was really pregnant, wouldn't you? It doesn't mean it's impossible, but you'd begin to say, I don't see any signs. And that's the problem today, is we think we're doing okay, and yet we don't see any signs that anybody's actually doing anything to help the body grow. Oh, we had a wonderful service today. We had hundreds of people there. That doesn't mean growth. That just means people came and sat. Because I believe you can actually shrink and still grow spiritually and still grow in love and still grow in the spiritual gifts that he's talking about. Because it's not about how many butts are in seats. It's about what's going on inside of us. And that's determining, I want to serve. I want to love. I want to be part of something that's bigger than me. Or we can all sit here as individuals and just waiting for our time. If we'll do this, if we help the other parts, the whole body will be healthy and growing and what? Full of love. Now, you didn't know this, but that last part is what he says will make you a disciple. By this, they'll know you're my disciples. Not by your knowledge, not by how you dress, not by having a hipster pastor, not by attending the biggest church, not by knowing your Bible really well. You want to know how the world will know you're a follower of Jesus Christ? By your love one for another. That's scripture, folks. You want to know how the world's going to know you follow him? By your love. And what's the best way to love? Relationship. You fall so in love with him, and he'll make you fall in love with the people around you, and your heart will break to see people changed. And it'll happen. All of a sudden, he'll put people in your path that you never thought you could reach, that you never thought you'd meet, that who knows what could happen. Or you keep yourself isolated, you keep yourself afraid, you keep yourself at a distance, not only from him but the other people, and the opposite will happen. That body will shrink and be unhealthy. You're called. You're called to different standards. It means we don't engage in everything the world engages in. It means we've got different values than they've got. It means we've got to stand a little taller, that we've got to be a little better with our lives than they've got to be. It means we should do it for Christ, not because somebody's watching, but He's the one that's called us. As a good coach, as a pastor, I would say this, with no malice in it at all, you're better than this. The church at large is, is better than this. We have not been called to be stagnant and passive and disconnected. We're better than this. We've been called to something great. We've been called to something eternal. We've been called to make differences in the lives of people around us. The question is, are we going to be motivated by love or our own selfish want of time? Because some part of us is still saying, I don't know if I have time for this nonsense. Come out from them and be separate. Not better. Not perfect. But living a life that somebody takes notice of. That's what he's called us to.